You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year, a comedy podcast looking back at this week in history. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, Podbean, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. If you want to follow us on social medias or message us with some suggestions for worst ever segments, you can do that over on Facebook or Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibley, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he named the dog Indiana, is <laughs> Mr. Jeff McLarge. <laughs> that belongs in a museum. <laughs> What's up? What's going on? How are you? Um, I'm good. I'm, you know, managing just fine as we uh, we cruise into the later part of the year. How about you? Yep. <laughs> into the third quarter. To the quarter, um, yeah. Well... We'll see how I am when this episode airs. As of right now, I'm not quite done writing my next seminar for the haunted house industry. Right. And that's going to be debuted at the East Coast Haunt Club um, uh, next month in real time, last month in listener time. Yeah, I'm a little nervous about it because, uh, one, I haven't taught really a, a seminar in a couple of years, and two... The subject matter that I picked to talk about might not really appeal to the crowd at the East Coast Haunt Club. They're generally an older crowd. Yep. And there are a lot of, like, home haunters. You know, people are going there to yeah. learn how to, like, make gravestones and stuff right, like right, that. Right. And decorate their and houses the s- so that, that they're the spookiest house on the block, that kind of thing. Yes. Now, my seminar is geared towards haunted house actors, because right. that's what I do, and that's what I've been doing for 25 years, uh, 24 years, excuse me. So, it's all like little tips and tricks to make it through the season, like right. what to eat, what not to eat, what to drink, what not to drink, and there's other stuff about like uh, avoiding drama and stuff. <laughs> I'm sure that that's, that takes up more than what not to eat and drink, I would yeah, think. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's like a running gag in the seminar. It's like, how to avoid drama? You can't. Next slide. And <laughs> oh, then, really? Okay. Yeah. And then there's like a big, uh, the, that's the, the ending of it is a big section about avoiding I drama. Gotcha. Yeah. It was really interesting because I, I was at a, uh, a gathering, a get together this weekend, and I was talking to, you know, some fellow haunters and I was telling them about the seminar. Now, generally speaking, whenever you tell people about your aspirations, most people tend to be supportive. That was not the case this time around. <laughs> I was uh, made aware that I have no authority to be teaching such subjects. Oh, jeez. Yeah, and that really took me off guard. And then I started bulldogging. You know, I planted my feet and started defending myself. One thing I know about me, it's a trigger, is I despise being talked down to. Really? You don't like being talked down to, Bill? Maybe it's because you're dumb. <laughs> That's because of your lack of education. Because <laughs> you're not as smart as the other people. Yeah, so uh, if I if I get talked down to like that, I j- it's a trigger, and I go, right. I, I bulldog, and you know, I like I said, I plant my feet. And I'm not going to budge. 
you know, the woman asks me a question and then I go to answer that she starts talking over me and I'm like, um, excuse me, you asked me a question. Do you want to hear the answer to my question or do you want to hear yourself talk? And the other person's like, uh, Bill, could you stop being an asshole? I'm, like, I'm not being an asshole. Right. So, um, truth of the matter was I totally was being an asshole. Yeah. But I felt justified. I still, to an extent, feel justified. Really, what I should have done is just did what I ended up doing at the end of the conversation was I looked at the woman, I said, noted, and smiled and walked away. And that's what I should have done right at the beginning. Could have also said, hey, thanks for the show topic. Uh, (laughs) You know, I I know you don't realize that this is going to be a thing, but (laughs) it's going to be a thing. Could you do me a favor and sign this release form? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So we can mention you by name. Yeah. If you can write it down. (laughs) No, I, I... I never mentioned names and stuff like that. The the names are not important. The right. Stories were important. Since we're talking about like interacting with other people, I'm somebody who's who's on the other side, and I have always had the trait where if I know something and you don't know something, I'm going to make sure that you know it. And that's a character flaw for old Mr. McLarge here. And I got called out on it years ago uh, yep. in the early days of the internet where somebody mm-hmm. had re- interacted with me and said, you know, you're a loudmouth and a know-it-all, and it sucks. And I thought, yeah, I kind of am. And it kind of does. And I only then, seem I'm- like a know-it-all to stupid <laughs> dumbasses like yourself. <laughs> no, the, the, in my argument is that, like, you know, for every criti- critique like that, as as painful as they are, there's probably a good grain of truth to it. And I kind mm-hmm. of am that. So I, it's an it's a constant thing to keep myself from being that kind of person, especially if it's about something that I know, writing or telephones or yeah. you know, horror movies or whatever. Um, oh, so you were a well actually person? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> if you looked up well actually person at like Urban Dictionary, there would have been a picture of me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really a well actually person, but I belong to this like music group, and a lot of people that are in the music group don't know as much as I do about music because I've been obsessed. I'm not. I'm not. You know, trying to talk down to them so they can be angry right. at me now. But I've been completely obsessed with music since I was a little kid. Right. And I happen to host a trivia podcast. So, like, <laughs> so all this like little information, you know, sticks to me and all. And people will post about different songs. And I'm like, well, actually, blah, 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 about, you know, mm-hmm. well, we'll talk about it later. Oh, actually, you know, did you know that Prince wrote that song? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, oh, that was like a conversation <laughs> today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, we'll be talking about it later. Yes. Right. Like we were telling your girlfriend's niece that, you know, you and I have been friends for 35 years or plus. Yep. And never had like a, a real argument or anything that's escalated. That no, yeah, that's yeah, true. But, but what, like, what will happen is eventually it's like, you'll talk down to me and then I'll be like, oh, you're a know-it-all because you're like in a well actually to me to death. Yeah. And we're just going to get like beat face red. Yeah. I have tried for the last several years to be somebody who, when I'm engaged in conversation with anybody about anything, is I'm trying to listen to them to understand as opposed to just sort of queuing up a story to tell. I have to consciously like make an effort to do that because it's not my normal nature so well i'll, I'll know better it's like next time somebody talks down to me i'll just be like oh, noted and just walk away mm-hmm. I, don't need, I don't need to i don't need to waste my time yeah because uh, even if everything came out and i proved my point and i'm right and i get a little trophy at the end of the day that's not going to change that person's stance on it you know what i mean I didn't change anybody's mind, and I, I didn't. I don't need to change anybody's mind. Right. I'm giving the speech. 
by hook or by crook. It doesn't matter. And if I if I fail, I fail. The don't but please, don't tell me that I'm not. I don't have authority to teach it. I got right. hired. To, all right, before I get worked up about it all over yes, again, yeah, um, let's not do that. All right, let's start the show up. Uh, before we get the show started, I do have my very popular and always well received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Oh man! All right, here where we here we go. Uh, years ago, I was over your house, and we were you were showing me the movie Slapshot. Yes. And I was marveling at the fact that nobody in that movie, it's a movie about hockey, and nobody in that movie was wearing helmets. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, the, the helmet law in the NHL didn't take place until like the late 70s or early 80s. Right. Uh, all right. So that was a grandfather. That was a grandfather rule. Mm-hmm. If, if you were new to the league, yes, you had to wear a helmet. But if you were already playing in the league, you didn't have to wear a helmet if you right. didn't want to. But now everybody has to wear helmets. Yes. But who was the last NHL player to not wear a helmet? Oh, my God. All right. Well, at the end of the show, I'm going to get this one wrong and break whatever streak I had going. <laughs> All right. But this is going to be the week beginning, September the 18th. And it is your turn to start, young Jeff. Well, all right. So we'll start at September 18th, 1973. Jimmy Carter, who was not yet president of the United States, reports that in 1969, he saw a UFO. And the phrase that he uses, or the quote of him saying it, it was the darnest thing I'd ever seen. It was big. It was very bright. It changed colors. (laughs) And it was about the size of the moon. We watched it for 10 minutes, but none of us could figure out what it was. Then he said if he became president, he would make every piece of information this country had about UFO sightings available to the public and the scientists, which he did not do. Yeah, so far that hasn't really been a thing. He says it's as big as the moon. I don't know. I don't know what the, that means. The, <laughs> the moon's pretty, yeah, exactly. pretty big. Like, the, yeah, I know. But like, I mean, the moon to scale like, <laughs> or the moon on the horizon, which can be pretty damn big, or right, the right. moon... You know, up in the sky, which is no bigger than like a dime. Yeah. I, scale. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's a lot of measurements in there that aren't the metric system. And I can't, I can't help you with yeah. that. I have a lot of questions there, Jimmy. Question number one, how much of your brother's beer did you consume that <laughs> night? <laughs> Two, were you huffing glue as you were building a Habitat for Humanity? Three, is there such a thing known as peanut wine? <laughs> <laughs> what I'm trying to say here, Mr. Cotter, is I'm thinking that you were three sheets to an ill wind. It's and, entirely possible. And more recently, there was a guy who was calling himself a whistleblower saying that, yep, there's alien technology. We got it. And I'm telling you all about it now. And uh, as of this recording, he says he was going to blow the whistle and I haven't heard anything. So I, I, know I don't that, know what to make of it. I know that guy spoke in front of Congress. And Congress yep. declassified some, like, videos of blinky lights and other things. So, I don't know if anything came of it. But it's interesting to think that President Carter was like, oh, my gosh, look at that. You generally don't see those at the Home Depot. He's at hospice right now, just <laughs> laying there going, I told you I saw something 50-some-odd years ago. All right, I'm just going to say this out loud because, you know, for the, it would be amazing if, mm-hmm. just as he was fading out, an alien showed up and was like, you're coming with us now, Jimmy. And they take him away. And they take him away so that he can, like, create houses and make peace in the galaxy. Jimmy Carter. It's about goddamn time you came back. <laughs> you could have come when I was a little bit younger. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on, September the 19th, we have a celebrity birthday, Jeff. Ooh, who do we got? September 19th, 1946, John Coughlin. He was uh, in the band Status Quo. 
Now, no. you may not you may not recognize the name of the band Status Quo. And I don't. Status Quo will go down in history as being the first band to perform at Live Aid in 1985. Oh my gosh, like that's that doesn't do anything for me. What else you got? Uh, There's got to be something else they're notable for, Bill. Come on, that's <laughs> the rule. They opened for Adam Ant in Live Aid, because Adam Ant was the second band that went on. Oh, them! Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember them. Yeah, no, I have no idea who they were. And I'm going to guess the status quo went on real long, because Adam Ant only got one song. <laughs> so, status quo, like, they're more of a British band, so yeah. you're not really going to know them here in the States. They do have a decent-sized monthly listen over on Spotify, two mm-hmm. and a half million. Yep. I recognize a song called Rockin' All Over the World, but I think their probably biggest song that people might know would be Pictures of Matchstick Men. I Okay, so I know that song, but I didn't realize yeah. that was a status quo song. I thought that song, I mean, I know that song is a, I didn't realize it was a cover by that Camper Van Beethoven did in like 92. Because oh, no, no, I, no, the status quo song goes back to like 68. Yeah, I had no idea. When I, when, in advance of the show, for the audience, yeah. like I went and listened to Status Quo a little bit as we were talking about this because like, I've never heard them in my life, and they reminded yeah. me like of Badfinger and the Easy Beats and a bunch of other bands that were right around that like late sixties, early nineteen seventies, coming out of the Beatles style. Yeah, yeah. they have a lot of like nineteen fifties kind of like throwback sound to their music too. Mm-hmm. They're one of those bands that's like you've never heard of them, <laughs> but I bet you I'll bet you like them if you listen to them. Yeah, you, you know, you throw on like just, '60s radio and you'd be like, "What song is this? Song's great!" And it's like turns out yeah, to be status just, quo. It's just straight up rock and roll. It's about as American as you can get, and they're a British band, <laughs> so there. All right, let's go on to the twentieth, September twentieth, nineteen seventy-six. My father's least favorite television show, the Captain and Tennille television musical variety show, debuts on ABC. This was like standard issue 1970s TV. It was a variety show built around a pop music act who had a limited number of singles and sang a lot of other people's music on the show. They did terrible skits in between songs and they had contemporary but awful guest stars. And these shows were a staple. We've talked about that on on the show before, but they were a staple of the 1970s. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, I want to find somebody like a boomer, you know, the generation above us. I think that would be like one of the bigger questions I want to ask is what the hell is wrong with you? Why <laughs> why was there variety shows all over the place? I could see if there was like one and like and, and I'm talking about true variety shows, like this Captain and Tennille show mm-hmm. and the Brady Bunch show. Oh yeah. And uh we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. The uh um, Yeah, Afternoon Delight people there. Starlight vocal band. Starling Vocal, Vocal Band yeah. had a variety show, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was the other ones, like, we also talked about That's Incredible and Real People. And those are kind of variety shows, but they weren't this Captain and Tennille kind of, like, horrible. Like you said, there was it was a musical act. They would have musical guests, yeah, 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 yeah. But they would have these, like, sketch comedy things, you know, not completely unlike Saturday Night Live. Which you could make an argument as a variety show. Well, I mean, yeah, not completely unlike Saturday Night Live, except for one thing. They were never funny, and they were always yeah. really short. They were almost like bumper sketches Yeah, between annoying banter and music. And the reason that they were super popular in the 1950s and 1960s and 1970s in the boomer generation TV is because they were cheap to make because you don't have to write them. There's no car chases. You don't have to hire a guy to make a spaceship model. 
There are no costumes right. really, so it's super cheap. And if the captain and team probably don't have to pay say, a lot of union dues either, right? Well, you probably do, but it's like you don't need as many people. To do like a three sure. camera variety show where Tony Tennille sings Muskrat Love again. Nothing's nothing's really written. Right. You could probably you know hire like a third or fourth grader to write the jokes. Yeah. And and then you fill up the rest of the time with like, oh look, it's Debbie Boone. She's gonna do You Light Up My Life. Oh, here comes Helen Reddy. She's gonna do I Am Woman Hear Me War. Here 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 comes yeah, yeah. Paul Anko. She's having my baby. Soon to be on the worst <laughs> song ever. <laughs> yeah, he just gave like the the entire list of the first season of Twibley's uh, Worst Song <laughs> yes, Ever right? segments. Yes. My dad hated this show. He hated, hated, hated it. When we watched it as little kids, I thought it was hilarious because I was six. And my dad yep. just he used to just be teeth-grindingly angry when it was on. He hated every second of it. It was really funny. Can you turn this off? There's nothing. There's got to be something else on. I'm about to say, did your father have no veto power whatsoever in the house? Oh, no, no. He's, he was the one who just sat there and was like, girls, eventually this will be over and you'll have to go to bed. And oh, then I, I see I what your father was doing. Your father didn't so much hate it as much as he loved to hate it. He- kind of a thing. Like, I mean, I'm not going to argue the fact that he didn't like it, but he also liked to bitch about it. I remember like in the early 90s, I like beat face red, hated the Beastie Boys. And to an extent, I still do. <laughs> but if their videos came on MTV, I would just sit there, watch, and hate. And yeah, just hate. Hate just watch, watch yeah. Them. Yeah. So maybe that's what your father was doing with the uh, captains. And the it's entirely show. possible. I mean, I'm telling you, some of the phraseology I heard is, how can you watch this? That was one. Like, this is the dumbest show. It's so dry. That was another one. This isn't funny. If you think this is funny, we should get your head examined. <laughs> it was something else. Yeah, he hated that show. All right, let's move on to the 21st. September the 21st, 1993, Nirvana's second, third, fourth, I don't know. I know they had some independent albums, but it was basically their second major label album. Yeah. So the follow-up to their groundbreaking Nevermind album, their follow-up album, In Utero, is released. So September 21st, 1993. That was the one uh, that was really it was it had a higher production values and they did a, a lot more like complicated story writing uh, in the songs and it uh-huh. if I remember correctly I've described it as the feel bad record of 1993. <laughs> That's an excellent uh, an excellent take on it. In utero, not to speak ill to the big Nirvana fans that we have. I remember our former uh, co-host. Uh, Jezebel Grace, the Nirvana was actually absolutely one of her favorite bands. But that being said, I find this album an enormous, I don't want to say step down, but it's a different step for sure mm-hmm. away from Nevermind. It's almost like it's not even the same band. can agree with you to a good extent there. They definitely went more acoustic and more quiet for most of the record. Certainly the singles, Heart yeah. Shape Box and All Apologies, neither of which you can sing along to without wanting to leap out of your car. Yeah. But it feels like it's geared towards the, what would become like their, probably their best selling piece of music, which is the the soundtrack of their appearance on MTV's Unplugged. Yeah. So I listened to the album last year sometime. Nirvana was never a band that really stood out for me. I mean, they were everywhere in the early 90s. You couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting them, which is an excellent measure of uh, <laughs> of distance. Um, I mean, Nirvana, whenever 
Nevermind came out with just, like I said, it, it was like an explosion. Yeah. We always refer to it as the, the comet, comet strike. that destroyed yeah. the dinosaurs. Yeah. Doomsday Comet. Uh, in utero, I had never really listened to the album. I knew the singles. I mean, Heart Shaped Box is pretty popular. And I like the song All Apologies, dreary as it is. I like mm-hmm. it. But a lot of the rest of the songs on the album, it's not exactly toe-tapping music. No. You know, like you just said, the feel bad song, uh, the feel bad hit of the summer. There's a time and a place for music that is uplifting in a different way. How's that for being yeah. uh, politically uh, correct with with regard to Nirvana Records and their and their fan base? Yeah. But there's a time and a place for music that you just want to sort of not wallow, but like amplify the emotions of sadness or alienation or distress. And yeah. you do that for a while, and it's like, oh, you put the record back on the shelf, like I do with Operation Mindcrime. Yep. And then, you know, you feel better and you go listen to something that's happier. Like, I don't know, any, literally any album, <laughs> <laughs> any album that you have, any album at all, you can, uh, you know, feel better. That was the other thing, too, that was like such a step in the different direction. In contrast, I should say, in contrast to Nevermind is like the songs on Nevermind were catchy. And then the songs on this one, yeah, they, some of them are, sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like the singles that we just talked about. There was another song called Rape Me, which is kind of a weird title. But a lot of the songs on here are very noisy. Yeah. So the big question is always, you know, because it was only like another eight months after this album came out that Kurt Cobain took himself out of the game. So there's always the big question of like, what could have been? And judging this album as like the you know watching the the dominoes fall i don't know yeah. i don't know if nirvana would have lasted much longer i don't know either all things being equal all we can do is look at what came out of the what that band seeded right so yeah. they seeded the foo fighters which have dave Grohl has gone on to just monstrous global stardom and really yep. kept kind of almost single-handedly kept rock and roll alive for the last 10 or 15 years maybe 20 years Mm-hmm. Uh, still show that there's a place for guitar awesome. rock, and he's 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 very personable and funny. He's interesting to listen to. He seems to be a really good dude. There's yep. the whole like a, as much as I joke about not liking it. There's the whole like Alice in Chains and Stone Temple Pearl Jam and all the other bands that sort of came out that sort of sounded a lot more like In Utero after In Utero came out and then made uh-huh. a career out of it than they did sounding like the Smells Like Teen Spirit record. Never mind. Yeah. There's, uh, there's certain people out there that, and we've had this kind of discussion before, where they weren't built to be famous. Right. And I think Nirvana as a whole, I mean, Dave Grohl, yes, for sure. I mean, take a look at the guy. Yes. Uh, Nova Selleck there, the bass player, I, I, I had to Google his name for Christ's sake. I don't, you know, it's like he, I don't think he was built to be famous either. And then Kurt Cobain, just that, that band just it was the right place at the right time. But five years in either direction, they wouldn't have been as popular as they were. Yeah, I, I agree. The world wasn't ready. And then uh, somebody else would have taken their thunder. I don't know who it would have been. I know who it would have been. Birthday boy, tomorrow, <laughs> the next day. What do we got? September 22nd, 1961. Scott Baio, Chachi himself. Blah, blah, blah. Is born. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> so. Pop singer extraordinaire. Pop singer extraordinaire. And former Worst Song Ever alumni with, uh, I don't even remember what the name of the song he had was. Yeah, neither do I. That's how good it was. Something about girls. <laughs> 
It's a chachi, itchy, crotchy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so Scott Bale is an American actor, probably best known for that kid's show that he did. Uh, no, probably best known for playing Chachi on the American sitcom Happy Days. Uh, later on in the failure of a sitcom, Joni Loves Chachi. Hmm. Who saw that one? Who saw that one? Do you and, do you remember the movie he made? Zapped? Yes. Yes, I do. Which, because Which was a cable TV staple for years and years, and I watched approximately yeah. 9 million times. Yeah. Right. Heather Thomas. Yep. Heather Thomas from The Fall Guy was in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> It wasn't a good movie, that mo- but it was fun. That movie is nope. That movie is problematic. <laughs> Very problematic. Him and Willie Ames. Yep. He did other projects with Willie Ames. Bef- I think before that and after it too. Yeah, they grew up being really good friends yeah. in the uh, in the Hollywood thing. Well, they were. Did, then, I think they were both shooting what Happy Days and Eight Is Enough at the same time, right? Isn't that where they became pals? Right, and then they had another sitcom together, which. <laughs> Third Rail, won't talk about it, but they had another sitcom together. And then Scott Bayo, he put out a couple of albums, even though he knew he couldn't sing. Right. Whenever Ron Howard put out the sitcom Arrested Development, he had a lot of his friends from Happy Days on that show. Yes. Because Henry Winkler was on that show. Yes. Henry Winkler um, is Barry Zuckercorn, the lawyer. Uh, yep. The lawyer for the Bluth family, who gets replaced right. in the second season by Bob Blah Blah, played by Scott Bayo. There's a yeah, the, Bob LeBlanc Bob blah, blah. with his website, Bob LeBlanc's Law Blog. Bob LeBlanc's Law Blog. No, Abla, Bob blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, there's a great line right at the beginning of that where they, they're first talking to Bob blah, blah, and they said, like, oh, our last lawyer was just not good. And he says, well, this isn't the first time I've been brought in to replace Barry Zuckercorn, which was he was the replacement kind of for Fonzie on Happy Days. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. That is a funny that throwback a funny line. Throwback. That is yeah, funny. Yeah. Really good one. Our friend Scott Bayo has kind of dipped his toes into the political world. What do we got for the next day? <laughs> uh, it's your turn the next day. Yeah. September 23rd. All right. Yeah. So for the next day, we have uh, September the 23rd, 2003. The rap group Outcasts releases a double solo album, so to speak. Yep. Called The Speaker Box and The Love Below. So it was a double album. Mm-hmm. One album was put out by Andre well, Three Thousand. Was pro- was produced by Andre Three Thousand, and the other album, right? One was put out by his partner, Big Boy. And this kind of reminded me of the Kiss solo album. It's like, <laughs> hey, let's each put out a solo album. It'll be great. It'll be the competitive spirit. And where do you sit on this? Which album do you so like? So I got this record when it came out. And for yep. the first like year I listened to and enjoyed it. There's some good singles. I like Andre 3000's delivery. And then sort yep. of out of like, oh, I don't know. I don't know anything about Big Boy. There's no singles from this record. I put in the Big Boy side and I liked it a lot more. It's a lot darker. It's a lot groovier. He's got a really good delivery of material. And Andre 3000 shows up now and again in little snippets here and there. But like, it's really a Big Boy record. Big Boy shows up on the Roses single. Yep. Uh, on the Andre uh, side of the album, or the Andre disc of the two-disc mm-hmm. set. Uh, everybody in the world is going to remember Hey Ya yep. and what a like phenomenon that was. That song was everywhere, and the video was a lot of fun. Bottom line, that's a great song. Yep. That's a great pop song. Great pop song and- about terrible people cheating on each other. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just 
Just like uh, the escape, the great escape from Rupert Holmes. Yeah. And the uh, long story tradition of Rupert Holmes. Rupert, yeah. Rupert Holmes, so, yes. um, Yeah. But, I mean, it was a great song. It was super popular. It was everywhere. That was kind of Outkast's undoing, right? That was the thread that undid the sweater, kind of, yeah, wasn't it for them? Yeah, kind of. They got, they got super popular for a short time, and then other opportunities came in. I know Andre 3000 went off and made some movies. He did that remake of The Sons of Katie Elder with... I think one of the Damon, not Matt Damon, but um, one of the Wahlberger brothers there. Wahlberg. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, it's a, it's a remake of a Western where a woman gets murdered and her four sons come back from wherever they were and they all go and murder everybody that murdered her. Murder, murder, murder. It's a good movie. Like, it was a Western first. You ain't going to fit that on the marquee. <laughs> no. It's was a, it? it's a, that was like that. What was, was the just, name of the movie, just, Jeff? The, the Sons of Katie Elder. That's the name of the movie. Oh. Um, oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, you just flip the VHS box over and it just says murder, 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 murder. Hey, yeah. <laughs> and what about uh, Big Boy? Did he do anything or is he just sitting there cashing his checks? He's still cashing his checks, but he's he's also, he does a bunch of production. And I have a record where he and a, like a techno band called Fantagram, who I really like, work together called, it's the record's called Big Grams. There's a single called uh, Leave the Lights On for me. Which is fantastic, and I urge everybody to oh. go and check it out. You can find it on your streaming service of choice. All right. So I was just looking up the uh, IMDb for this Son of Katie Elder movie with Andre. His version is actually called Four Brothers. Ah. If somebody wants to, well, there you go. Go out and yeah, go out and check that one out. Yeah, it's not a bad revenge flick, and he's pretty good in it. Yeah, he didn't do the Coolio thing and then start acting in like Carnosaur fourteen or Sharknado Puss or anything like that. <laughs> he stayed and he did better stuff. All right, let's wrap up the week. September 24th, 1992. What would very shortly become my favorite cable TV channel premieres uh, in the United States, and that is the Sci-Fi Channel. Aha. Uh-huh. Aha. Uh-huh. Actually, it wouldn't become my favorite until I lived back in the United States because that channel premiered just as after I moved overseas. But I, oh. I knew it existed because I've been reading science fiction magazines, seeing the ramp up of it going live. They're like, quick, he's gone. Yes, yes, start going now. Live. Premiere it now. That's right. <laughs> this is plane taking off. Hit the switch. So yeah, I remember whenever that like was being launched, and it kind of quickly became almost like MTV when MTV first launched, which was wow, we don't really have a lot to put on the air, do we? <laughs> There's not a ton of science fiction, like, and they don't have licenses for a bunch of stuff. And right, they, what what was kind of cool was that how they sort of adapted to that was you can only show so many like B movies from the 50s and 60s before the audience tunes out. You can only show right. so many episodes of like Land of the Giants or when Allen TV shows which they had the rights to before people tune out. So what they started to do is import anime and then they started uh-huh. to produce their own stuff. They did like a science fiction magazine show that Harlan Ellison was on that was really good. Did they used to show The Outer Limits? They used to I think they showed The Outer Limits and they would do a Twilight Zone marathon once a year. So yeah, there was, I mean, those are great sci-fi shows. Yes. The Twilight Zone, I mean, maybe you do, but I think America as a whole doesn't really think of it as a sci-fi show, but it totally is. It totally is, yeah. It's just that, you know, since 1977, sci-fi has been Star Wars. You know, yes. Star Wars is the, uh, the focal point for science fiction, but science fiction is a much wider brush than people would like to think At it is. At the risk of dragging us into a conversation that is way too long for us to talk about here, but the differences sort of between The Twilight Zone and Our Limits is 
Twilight Zone was all written and overseen by Rod Serling, with many of the stories written by Richard Matheson and, and writers who specifically wrote with Serling when he did the pre-Twilight Zone stuff, like his movies of the week for the Mercury Theater, whatever it was that he worked for. And Outer Limits yeah. bought their stories out of contemporary science fiction magazines like Astounding Science Fiction and Analog Magazine, and then adapted yeah. them to TV. So there were two different sources for their content, which makes the show so different. I really like The Outer Limits, but to be honest, I'm more familiar with the reboot version from the ni- – I think it was in the 90s. Yeah, they've done they've done a couple of reboots of it. I should save this for a trivia question for another week, but I'll ask you now. What was the very first thing that they showed on the Sci-Fi Channel at the time of launch? Oh, I have, I have no idea. I was in the UK. Well, they showed – Star Wars, A oh, New Hope. That makes, that makes sense. I'm sure with 9 million commercials fit in there because it was a commercial uh, channel. Is it? They were like, this is what sci-fi is, you stupid Americans. <laughs> right. Well, sci-fi went on. It's still a thing. Now it's got a different spelling for its name so that it's more of the idea of science fiction and fantasy. I remember when they changed their name, it caused a bunch of consternation in the sci-fi community. I didn't carry the way because by then- like, yeah, it's more like Siffy now, yeah, right? Yeah, S-Y-F-Y. It's, it's just that they were showing so much of the same stuff. They started showing a lot of wrestling and other things that were outside yeah. of outside of that science was, fiction. So That was funny. I had this friend who, like, he hated wrestling and he hated Kiss. Just, to, you know, you can kind of paint a mental picture right. of that type of person. Kiss and wrestling are two things that if somebody likes, they're more than happy to tell you about it. Right. But if they hate those things, they're really going to tell you <laughs> they're how much way they more than happy. It. Yes, they bring some great Seriously. joy. Well, let's just say hypothetically, I don't like the show Happy Days. But I'm not going to get beat face red telling you how much I hate Happy Days. But go on to any website and get that like Kiss gets brought up or wrestling gets brought up. Somebody who doesn't like it is going to turn like uh, a turn up just to, I hate wrestling. It's fake. Oh, no, 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 no. So anyway, wrestling lands on the sci-fi channel. Yep. And I had a friend that did not like wrestling and he's over there, you know, kind of like stamping his feet. Why is wrestling on the sci-fi channel? And it's like, well, one. You don't watch the sci-fi channel, so why do you give a Right. And two, I said, my friend Jeff, that's you, that's my me. friend Jeff gave me this kind of broad brush description of sci-fi, and it's any piece of fiction that everything exists within its own world. Yes. And the laws of physics are specific to that world. Yes. And that is a perfect description of wrestling. It is indeed. And I would argue that wrestling technically is science fiction because of yes. the Shockmaster. Yeah. <laughs> and and the laws of physics. Like if I punch you in the face a hundred times during a match, no problem. If right. I punch you in the face and you're not in a match, you go unconscious. Right. And God forbid you're wearing a referee shirt. Yes. Because a stiff wind will knock you out for hours. Yes. Yep. Yes, yes. Those are wrestling physics. All right. So before we move on to the worst song ever this week, Jeff. Oh, man. Uh, of course, we do have our days of the week to celebrate. And on September the 18th, on Monday, it is Cheeseburger Day. Oh. And I know... I know that you have found a newfound appreciation for cheeseburgers. Tell us all about it. So as the audience knows, I spent a week uh, in the cardiac wing of the local hospital here in in New Hampshire. They didn't have vegetarian meals. 
they wouldn't make a vegetarian meal while I was in the hospital. Like everything is bad already. So let's make it worse. Yeah. So on the menu that they came in and, and I could order from, I was restricted as to how many carbohydrates I could take, right? How many carbohydrates I could eat. And that determined what I was able to order for food. And every day, one of the things that I could order was a cheeseburger. And I thought, well, you know what? If I'm going to die in the hospital, I may as well die, you know, with cheeseburger in my belly. Yeah. And I hadn't had a cheeseburger in four years. Wow. Right? The first cheeseburger they brought me is the best cheeseburger I have ever had. It was the only enjoyment that I had in the hospital was eating cheeseburgers for lunch for four days. (laughs) Honest to God. Let me me ask you. Were they really good cheeseburgers or were they like, I'm going to drink hot coffee only because I'm thirsty? You know what I mean? You know, I don't know. I don't know if it's that they were especially good. Or if yep. it was the environment and, you know, sort of relative, like <laughs> the, the theory of relativity yep. <laughs> that made them so good. At the time, they were really good. And I haven't had a cheeseburger since I left the hospital to compare it against. Mm-hmm. Those had such a memorable like, flavor for me. It was very strange, but it was really funny that that was like the 10 minutes of the day that I didn't, I didn't wonder why I was there if I was going to die while I was gobbling down a cheeseburger. My only kind of like cheeseburger story was... I quit smoking in January of 2014. So we're coming up on 10 years, right? Yep. I don't really go to McDonald's all that often, but I was working the haunted house job. So I had to grab food like on the go. And I had stopped off and I got two double cheeseburgers and I'm on the highway and I'm eating these double cheeseburgers. Now they tell you that when you quit smoking, your sense of smell and taste return. Yes. You, know, you don't notice, you don't notice that they're completely dull while you're smoking but once you stop smoking they return right now i hadn't had cheeseburgers in you know a couple of probably about a year probably since the last haunt season Mm -hmm. and i'm driving up the highway and i'm eating these cheeseburgers and i'm like what is going on why is this so delicious and why did i only buy two (laughs) if they're gonna taste this good (laughs) yeah those are the two best damn cheeseburgers i've ever had in my life no it'd be awful is if you were in the hospital and they didn't have cheeseburgers and all they had was the worst song ever. All right, Jeff. Uh, my <laughs> pick for the for the worst song ever this week comes to us from Scottish superstar Sheena Easton. I would argue that I don't know that she was a superstar because, but she was like a reality TV star before. She had a music career, and the reality. What are you TV, talking about? The reality TV show was about her trying to get a music career going. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. <laughs> I watched a little bit of that today. Yeah. Uh, before we get into our deep dive, talking about Sheena Easton, uh, yes. the song that we're talking about here in the states was known as "Morning Train." Yeah. Over in the uh, the other side of the pond, this was called Nine to Five." Right. Here's the unbearable clip. is two clicks above Sesame Street music. Yeah, it's pretty slim. And what I always remember, 
and and laughed at was how every single syllable is on the beat in this song. Yes. And it's like it's irritating after a minute. Like the song is only like three minutes long and it's two and a half <laughs> minutes too long at that length. The the chorus of this song, which we just listened to, has the emotional depth of the honeycomb cereal jingle honeycomb's big yeah 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 it's It's not not small small. no 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 no. no. (laughs) yeah it's it's so funny like so she changed the name of the song well the record company changed the name of the song from nine to five to morning train so that it wouldn't get confused for the vastly superior dolly parton song which i guess there's a thematic similarity between the two i'll give you the example in Dolly Parton's song, 9 to 5, it's a first-person narrative, right? Yep. Woke up, poured myself a cup of ambition, blah, 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 I'm going to go and work 9 to 5. In Morning Train, it's she's just hanging around at home waiting for her boyfriend or husband to come back with money. Now, why don't you get a job, you <laughs> deadbeat? <laughs> like, the whole song is, my baby takes the morning train, he works from 9 to 5, and then <laughs> he takes the train back home again. And I sit here lazy, doing nothing, you know. And like <laughs> In the verses of the song, there's a little kind of like subtle innuendo that he's going to get a little uh, a little pinch and squeal when he gets on. Right. But yeah, that chorus is just, can you imagine, just for a second, just imagine the cutting crew. Now, the cutting crew is the, the session musicians, right. right? There isn't anybody in that cutting crew that isn't working just as hard as Sheena Easton on that song. <laughs> yep. But they're probably all getting like the 25 bucks for the day and a hot meal. Right. And then she's just going to re- reek in the benefits because she's pretty. So I spent uh, about 30 to 40 minutes this afternoon listening to one of the many greatest hits albums uh, <laughs> that Sheena Easton has. The one I listened to was, I think, called she does that song? <laughs> oh yeah, I have. That's a that's a two record set, right? Yeah, yeah. Like uh, the the next song on it was called "Telephone Long Distance Love Affair." Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know that song. You know, it's funny and she didn't change the, she didn't change the name of that one so that people wouldn't mistake it for the ELO song "Telephone." Right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> then the the next song was called "Strut," which was a little more. A little more randy, a little right. more risque than the sugar sweet morning train. Yes. And then <laughs> then, then she met Prince. Yeah. And then she met Prince, right? And then do you remember a song that she had called Sugar Walls? Oh yeah, yeah. I remember that song. Yeah. I was listening to that song today, and it is very, very apparent that Prince wrote that song. That sounds musically like, like a Prince, Prince song. song. Yeah. And lyrically, that song is about as subtle as a Prince song. That song. <laughs> yeah. Sugar Walls. Sugar Walls. What, what could you possibly be talking about, Sheena? Good. Who knew? Who knows? I, I yeah. actually sort of like the, the trajectory of her career, though. Her musical career because of that. Because she totally... Yeah, straight, straight to the dirt. Straight to the... Well, <laughs> she, I mean, she starts out like a standard, very standard adult contemporary, terribly boring. Like, it could be mistaken for, you know... I don't know about Debbie Boone, but certainly Helen Reddy and like Olivia Newton-John before Olivia Newton-John started to get more risque at the late 1970s. And then each successive single dragged her further and further away from that because of who she was working with for songwriters and musicians and stuff. And I could appreciate the evolution that she had in her career based on it. That said, it makes Morning Train that much shittier. (laughs) 
It's true. It's like you listen to this greatest hits, and like I said, it starts out with this bubblegum song, Morning Train, which is made for 40 year olds. Yes. You know, that that is gonna shelf life from like two years plus and minus your fortieth birthday. And after that, no. Right. Not your fortieth birthday, your mom's fortieth birthday. <laughs> right. Or your older sister's 40th birthday. Certainly not you. And then, like I said, moving into like the the Prince Sugar Walls. And she also did the James Bond theme. Remember when that was a big thing? Yeah. That was a big thing at one time. Whenever you were a musician and you got to do the theme to the new James Bond movie, that was like just printing money at the time. printing money. Yeah. I mean, Chris Cornell did one and Adele did the last one. Yeah. Uh, I remember Duran Duran did one. Tom Jones did one. Tom Jones Paul did McCartney one, yeah. before he died. Or it was after he died. After, <laughs> it was he died. after he died. Live and let die. Yeah. The clues are there, the man. The clues are there, man. So uh, I was watching. She's actually doing like theater now. Yeah. And I was watching like an interview with Sheena Easton. And she's doing theater. I mean, she's not in the States at all. She's over right. in Scotland in, or know, something. Scot- yeah, she's from Scotland. But you know what I thought was terrible was... Uh, she's one of those people, a lot of people from Scotland, more people from Australia do this, is they have this like self-loathing about their accent yep. that they go to speech therapy to get rid of it. Right. Because to my ear, anyway, the Scottish accent, it sounds fine, except for they say their vowels wrong, like they're using <laughs> the wrong vowel. Like they have the letter A where there should be a U mm-hmm. or vice versa or whatever. And I was watching a modern interview with Sheena Easton, and that accent was completely gone. And I've known plenty of people, and when I say plenty, I mean at least three, people from Australia that went to speech therapy to get rid of their accent. Right. I remember she did the song, You Got the Look, right? And how you can spot a print song from 100 miles away is that U is a letter U instead of Y-O-U, or there's a number in place of the spelled out number. You know what, though? You know what? That's a, actually a Prince song. Oh. That's a Prince song to begin with. And she does like guest vocals on it. Yeah. Uh, that's from her second compilation album called, Oh, That Wasn't Her After All. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I have that record too. <laughs> so going back to Morning Train before we wrap this up, because I found a couple of different versions of it. She recorded an alternate version of it in Spanish. Because, like most people that don't live in America, she's multilingual. Right. And then there was a cover version of the song in French. Yes. Called, if tra- I, I, I don't speak French because I'm an American. But if you were to translate it, the name of the song is Love is Like a Cigarette. So right. I guess it loses a real lot in the translation. <laughs> you, you go from My Baby Takes the Morning Train to Love is Like a Cigarette. So yeah, that's romantic. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's love gives it's, you emphysema. Emphysema. You have to stand outside in the rain every like two <laughs> hours or else. That version was recorded by a French singer named Sylvie Vartan. Who, if you don't know who she is. She's kind of like uh, Madonna, but in the 1970s. So she oh. was she, in, in French Madonna, Fredonna, French Donna. <laughs> but she did like big stage shows with lots of dancing and pop music, and she did some Chantoucy stuff. But she, uh-huh. uh, 
her version of the. I listened to the the Sylvie Vartan song, and I was like, it's exactly the same song, but all the lyrics are different. Yeah, it's like somebody singing like bad karaoke. All right. All right, so before we wrap up the show, Jeff, I was watching a movie at your house one time called Slapshot, which is going to lead us into the answer to our very popular and always well-received trivia question. Okay. In Slapshot, none of the hockey players are wearing helmets because that was not a rule right. in the NHL. Who was the last player in the NHL to play without wearing a helmet? Well, since I know the names of exactly three hockey players on mm-hmm. Earth... I'm going to go with the first one that I remember is Gordie Howe. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. So, right, What's the other two players you know? Maybe they're one of them. Wayne Gretzky? Nope. Uh, and Bobby Orr? Nope. His name was Craig McTavish. Oh. He's still alive. He's, uh... He's, he eats uh, a lot of applesauce, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, he grinds up he's, some uh, food in his blender so he can swallow yeah. it. He's, uh, he's 65 years old. He's from uh, Ontario, Canada. And Not a surprise. I see a big. Apparently, he went to prison. <laughs> oh. Yep. And uh, apparently, he was in a car accident, too. I wonder if he had a helmet on for the car accident. <laughs> or if they're like, my God, this guy's lost all of his teeth. Yeah. And he's like, no, no, no. There was already like that. All right. That is going to wrap up this week's show. We'll see you back here in exactly seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. All right. Bye. Bye, everybody. A special shout-out to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you for listening to Twibbly, where this week was way better last year. You can find us or message us over at Facebook or Instagram. Just look for Twibbly. That's T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Remember, Robert Hayes from Airplane listens to Twibbly, and I heard he got George Zip to subscribe after Macho Grande.